So last week, Pastor Paul spoke a great message to us, and he said that God is prepared to meet us in our need. Uh, he mentioned that before we knew God, there was no way that we could be cleansed for our wrongdoing or for our sin. And so because of Jesus, we can go into the presence of God and he intercedes for us. And that was a pretty great message that he had. Today, I want to talk to you that God comforts us. I want you to understand that God will comfort us in our difficulties, but the problem is we don't always recognize it. We don't always recognize it when God is comforting us when we're in the wilderness. And I, I'm going to read to you the first, a first uh, verse in Psalm 63, and I'm going to stop, and then we'll move forward. But Psalm 63 says this, You are God, sorry, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So this portion of this scripture is imagery. It's imagery of God. It's seen both as uh, water, as the water of life that satisfies us completely, and we can cross-reference that to chapter 63, verse 5 in Psalms, as well as John chapter 47, or sorry, John chapter 4, verses 7 to 15. But it also talks about God as the one who saves us from life-threatening circumstances, whether they're imaginable, whether we image, have them in our heads that they're happening, or whether they are real uh, and, and our enemies are pursuing us, as the psalmist talks about, as they are surrounding us as he moves on. Like The next portion that we're going to read in, in this is, is where the, the psalmist is waiting for God in the sanctuary, searching for answers and for help, but also being protected from the troubles that await. Now, the imagery here is protection, and we can search and we can have doubts while we wait in our struggles, while we wait in the wilderness. We can doubt. We can have those difficulties. We can search. We can ask questions. And even though it seems like God is silent, we can do that when we're under his umbrella, when we are covered and protected by him. And maybe we don't get the answers right away, but we can ask the questions. Is there a time in your life, and are you doing this now, where you're searching for answers? You're searching for God. And a lot of times when you hear people speak about searching for God, you will hear them say, well, I'm searching for God. And that means they don't know God or don't know where he is or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean that. You can be a Christian your whole life and still be searching for God in specific time. Correct? If we're struggling, we can be searching. We can be searching all the time. We can be wanting more all the time of whatever God is for him to show us. But there are times when just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we don't search. We don't search for answers. We're constantly searching for answers. Scripture gives us lots, but it also doesn't give us lots of answers. And that's a struggle. But here's the issue. Searching requires action. I know we think that when we need to take a break and we need to take a rest that we don't do anything. But there has to be an action. Resting is an action. And I think we confuse it. And so when you're in those times of struggles, when you are, there, there, there's an action that's required. And these next verses mention a word, an action word. And, I've, and it says things like, I have seen. 
My lips will glorify you. This is all in the sanctuary and the protection of God. When he seems like he's far away, there's these actions. I've seen. I will praise. I will glorify. I will be satisfied. I will remember you. I will think of you. This is the psalmist expressing it in the time of struggle, in the wilderness. So let's read on. Verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The psalmist is saying, I'm going to, I remember these things. I'm, I'm telling you, God, even though I feel like everything's against me, you are still there, and I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to. So this writer provides two sustaining understandings that you need to grab onto today, this morning, and walk away from here. God remains powerful despite the sense of distance and abandonment. Have there been times when you've been in struggles you felt abandoned by God or by others? Has there been times when God seems so distant, he's just not answering you, he's just not, doesn't seem to be there. That distance, that abandonment is real. And we can feel it in our relationship with God. We can also feel it in our relationship with others. And so as we have a relationship with God, obviously, we could feel it with others. So the very first thing is to remember that despite everything that's going on, God is there. He remains powerful. Secondly, God, God's love is even more satisfying than life itself. The psalmist is expressing this. The Hebrew word for love in this particular verse means loyalty. It means joint obligation, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, godly action. In verse 1, this writer mentions thirst for God. I don't know if you noticed, but the thirst in Scripture is quite well known. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned. In the New Testament, it's mentioned. The idea of thirst is very common in throughout Scripture. Now, the land of the Bible was very dry. It was very parched. Uh, the sources of water were very limited, no matter where they went. And the consequences of dehydration are sickness or death. I mean, the same is today. Thirst played a major role. It was very prominent in travel for the, uh, for the Israelites when they were traveling out of uh, the Exodus there. Um, and in the memory of thirst and God's quenching of it, it continued as an important memory all throughout Scripture. So the, the Jewish people remember 
that there was thirst, and, and this imagery is constant throughout everything. You can see it all through. You even hear it in songs that we sing today. They're pulling Scripture out, talking about thirsting and quenching that. The, the prophets of Scripture also mention thirst uh, as a sign of divine punishment when, when the water was withheld or, or they, when it was abundant, it was blessing. It was a blessing. But this image of spiritual longing uh, for God, thirst appears uh, in Psalms chapter 42, verse 2, and it talks about my soul thirst for God, for the living God, and in chapter 143, verse 6, my soul thirst for you like a parched land, as well as the beginning of the scripture that we mentioned today. So those who are thirsting after God, they will find satisfaction in him. So this imagery is picked up all throughout and in the New Testament also where it's the appropriate attitude for a desire of God that it would be satisfied. Blessed are those in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Uh, John 4, 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Speaking of, Revelations 22, verse 17, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Who, whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So it's very common throughout. Those are just a few. David cried out in the wilderness for protection. And David says, I've seen you do amazing things. Have you seen God do amazing things? Have you seen him do amazing things lately? Some people can answer no. And that's the difficulty. That's the difficulty. I want to encourage you today that God has done amazing things even though it doesn't feel like it and there's one thing I can tell you there's many one thing I want you to focus on this morning is that he's done an amazing thing because he made you now maybe you feel like you haven't seen God do amazing things you may not like the answer I just gave you it may not give you that satisfaction that you want, but it doesn't make it less true. In our times today, we are always looking for a major experience, or we may even think that we've been given a raw deal in life, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial issues, whether it's family issues, whether, whatever it is, what you're born into. But the problem with looking into your situation as proof that God loves you is that the focus is all wrong. The focus is completely wrong. We focus on our circumstances. We focus on our situation. But that doesn't change God's love. Our focus has to turn away from self. It has to. But guess what? This is where the struggle comes in. You see... In Romans, Paul talks about how he struggles and how there's a struggle between the good and the bad, and I want to do this and I don't want to do that, but I do this and I shouldn't do that. I believe it's Romans chapter 7. And it's this battle, a battle that we have. And we, we struggle with that. 
we struggle with it. That is the fact. That, that's because we still are impacted by sin. We still are impacted by the fall. And I know we don't like that word. We don't like the word sin because it gives us, it gives us kind of PTSD from the past where a pastor's up there going, you're sinners bound for hell and you need to be better. And we constantly go, yes, I'll be better, but I can't be better because I'm Romans chapter 7. I struggle with it constantly. I want to be good, but I can't be good because I struggle. But because of the power of Jesus Christ, we can. But that doesn't stop the impact of sin in the world, of wrongdoings. I like to use the word wrongdoings for sin. To me, it just makes more sense. Sin is... is is a word that, that is, is fine, and, and you can use it if you want, and I won't judge you, I promise, much. But what I'm saying is wrongdoing. Because then it covers a whole bunch of things. That Sin just seems like a religious person's way of judging you. And, <coughs> and that went down the wrong tube. <coughs> See, God's punishing me. <coughs> For the sin in my life. <coughs> But we struggle with this. And I don't want you to be stuck there. Our circumstances, as horrible as they may be, no matter what they are, think of the best to the worst. That doesn't change God. Too many times I've, said to, I've talked with people who have said to me, I won't become a Christian or I left the church or whatever the reason is for not wanting to be a Christian because the people in church are judgmental, because the people in church did this, or because I've watched too much TV and I think that that's what Christians are because they're crazy right now. Yeah, they are. That doesn't change God. Just because his people are stupid doesn't change God. And we got to stop it. We have to bring, and I, I said, I'm sorry I said that word. Forgive me now. You have to. You're Christians. Move on. But here's the point. We have to give a good example of what Jesus is. And our church does a really good job of it. But, but listen, we fall, we slip, we make mistakes, and we can be a bad example. It happens. But we need to jump right back. We need to say sorry when, we, when we've made that wrong, when we've done a mistake. That's a hard one to do. It's pride. There's a whole bunch of stuff. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get into that one day. We need to be forgiving of others. We need to not think that our preferences for how we worship or what songs we listen to or what songs we play or what Bible uh, translation we use, we need, th those aren't important. What's important is your heart and where you are with God. We sang some new songs today. I didn't know them, so I meditated on the words. What's wrong with that? Do you know that throughout the history of Christianity, before you know, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, the 1500s, all that. Before that, the church would stand up and just read psalms or letters from other authors or apostles or whatever, but they would mostly read the psalms. Don't you think that'd be a little boring if we just got up here and read the psalms? Now, I didn't say scripture's boring. I don't want to hear that one after the message. What I'm trying to say here is that if I just read and then, and then at the very end went... With God, we will perform valiantly with the trample of our foes. Now go out there and tip your waiters. Like, we need more. But that's what they did. And then when the Reformation came, there was a whole bunch of reasons for that because of corruption and all that. But when we come to church, 
Our preferences don't matter. It's the fact that we're coming together and we're here to, first of all, edify the church, build each other up. Prior to that, of course, God. But what I'm saying is we're here to gather so that we can worship together, but not worship because of what we like. We're here to worship Him. And that doesn't matter if I came to this service and someone was speaking in French the whole time. I use French because I can only understand a little bit. But if they're speaking in some other language, I should be able to worship with them and not worry about the words. Because what is it? It's spiritual. It's not my preference. It's not the songs we pick. It's not the scriptures we use. It's not how good the speaker is. It's not how good whatever it is. I could tune my guitar so that it's completely out of tune and strum it and bash it on the ground and you should still be able to worship God. That should not change. It's extreme, but, and it won't happen, but I'm telling you, you should be able to worship God no matter what. Doesn't matter. Guess what? In times of persecution, they worshiped God. When the first person taped, taped, probably didn't have tape, roped, tied up a martyr to a stick and put the flame to the wood, they were praising God. The last time I checked when you walked in the doors, we didn't ask you to strap yourself to a pole and light you on fire. So let's realize here, praising God doesn't matter about our situation. We praise him in the good and we praise him in the bad. North American Christianity has made it so that we think if it's going wrong, we're being punished by God. If things are good, we're being blessed. Come on. We've got to be better than that. We've got to be better than that. Scripture does not say that. Blessed are you only if it's a good thing. No. No. So let's get our perspective. Now, I apologize, Daryl. I will get back to my notes. But I just needed to tell you that God really, really wants you to worship him and forget about everything else. So like David... We can cry out to God in our troubles, trusting that he hears us, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we think he's not listening. I've had prayers where I've said, God, you need to, you need to do something here. I don't know what you're doing or not doing, or I have no idea. But we can do that with God. Does it help? Not always. Do I feel better? No. Are there times when I cry out to God, it makes me go, oh, I'm glad I got that off my chest, everything's a-okay, and I walk around like everything's wonderful? No. It doesn't always help. And that's okay. Stop thinking you need to put on this facade that, that because you've said some few magical words from Scripture that everything's just going to be all fine and dandy. It doesn't necessarily mean that. You still have this human spirit, this emotion inside of you. Matthew Henry says that God comforts us in our difficult times. Sometimes the people who are the closest to God are those that their lots cast is cast in the wilderness, which finds them lonely, solitary, desolate, and afflicted, wanting, wandering, and unsettled, and quite at a loss for what to do with themselves. Man, have you ever been in this position where you don't know what to do with yourself? That's a weird feeling. For a person who likes to be in total control, I don't like to lose control of what, you know, usually I'm under that, but I don't like that when I don't know what to do with myself. I've trained very hard to always know what to do with myself. 
And there are times when I'm like, I don't know what to do. But in all our addressings to God, we need to keep our eye on Him and our God. And He will comfort us in that state eventually. <laughs> eventually. Maybe not right away, but eventually. David hid in the wilderness several times in his life. He ran from Saul, who wanted to kill him. He ran from his own son, who tried to overthrow him. That's a good time. And though it's not really clear on what event this particular psalm is talking about, we can see that David turned to God to protect him. Although even in the time when, when people that David loved were seeking to harm him, he knew that God was there to protect him and would hear him and would eventually answer him. But the problem that David was experiencing wasn't too uncommon all throughout history. I mean, just one example is um, the reign of Queen Mary I. Uh, she was Catholic, and her sister, uh, Princess Elizabeth, was exiled away. She exiled her away because she was Protestant and basically was, was wanting to kill her as well. Uh, Queen Mary I was quite the tyrant. Um, but in the end, Elizabeth was accused of treason. She became queen eventually down the road in her life. But her life was constantly in danger. Constantly in danger. You see, God's going to meet you. But I can't give you the answer as to how or when I can't. I wish I could. I wish I could lay it all out. We spoke a few weeks ago that uh, Hagar uh, saw God in the wilderness and named a well after him in this vision, and, and she was, it, it, was, it was good. And in Genesis chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, Moses saw God in the wilderness. Isaac, um, Elijah in Exodus 3 uh, saw God in the wilderness. David saw God in the wilderness. So, so when you're in the wilderness... When you're in your struggles, that's what we use the term for wilderness, you will see God eventually. And this picture of, the, of, the, of this dry and weary land expresses both a physical wilderness, a physical stress, and also a spiritual stress of the soul. A lot of times the two are very connected. When you are physically drained, you will have a spiritual drain. It's... it's it's tied together. And sometimes the best thing you can do is address the physical need first. God knows you're human. He knows you need it. So address the physical need, whether it's weariness, sleep, hunger, thirst, whatever that is. The physical need needs to be addressed. And then the spiritual need. Why do you think Jesus fed people first and then addressed them spiritually? Because he knows they're going to be whining and complaining if he doesn't do something about the physical need. He knows people too well. He knows them. If I kept you here for another hour and soup, the smell of soup just started rolling in, and you were like, I didn't eat breakfast because I was going to have soup. And I just kept you here and kept you here. We locked your feet down. You can't move. You're not allowed to move. You would cut it out at a certain point because physically you can't do it anymore. So God knows that. So address, your, address the physical need. Rest, recuperation, diet, and exercise. 
But even in his great distress, David recognized that God's presence and his comfort are like water in the desert or food in a famine. And so our souls can be satisfied in God's provisions and our mouths be filled with praise for his goodness no matter what we are going through, even though it doesn't feel great. But is there some way here and now that the love of God, his loyalty, his his covenantal relationship with you makes that kind of difference in your life? Uh, Does it make such a difference that it wouldn't be worth living without him? Is your connection with God so important to you that you would sacrifice all your future hopes and all your future dreams to keep connected with God? Abraham experienced all of this in Genesis 22. He had finally made his way through a long process of growing and understanding that God intended to carry out the restoration of all of creation through his descendants. Abraham experienced it, but he had to go through the wilderness. Is your experience providing you with the same two sustaining understandings of the psalmist, that God remains powerful despite our sense of distance and the abandonment, and is God's love more satisfying than life, than the things of this world? The question with all of this becomes how. How can we gain satisfaction with God? Firstly, you need to remove self. You have to remove self. What that means is don't have an overinflated or exaggerated view of yourself, both positive and negative. We always think that when someone has an over-exaggerated view of themselves, we always go to, oh, they're just arrogant and they're whatever. But there's also the other side of negativity. In a world that has put so much uh, focus on self and my truth, which drives me up the wall, that's my truth. Well, your truth is wrong. Get over it. Sometimes you just don't like it, so you say, but that's my truth. Well, your truth can be false. Your truth can be wrong. So stop saying that. It's ridiculous, my truth. We can be misled into thinking that we are better or worse than others. Just look at Facebook and Instagram. I don't even need to go into that. That's just, I don't even want to say any more about that. One of the dangers of filling our minds with our own wants and needs is that we won't have room to think about or have faith in God because it's so full of self. We become full of self and soul empty. We miss out on the things of God. Galatians 5.13 says, Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Be somewhere in the middle of over-the-top arrogance and super brutal on yourself. Find right there. Recognize you've been adopted into the family of God. You're in his family. And it should be a safe place. Better be a safe place. Secondly, move past your circumstances. It doesn't matter what they are. If you're struggling, it doesn't matter. Move forward. Again, That's not putting aside your feelings. That's not putting aside what you're going through. It's not belittling that or saying it's not not real. What it's saying is you have to move past the circumstances because just because you're having a rough go doesn't mean that God isn't still on the throne and God doesn't love you. 
So how do we do this? Well, we do it by continuing the disciplines of prayer and of meditation with God and his word on a regular basis. Even when we don't want to, we need to dig in. If you're struggling, remember that struggle is normal. And I would say in so many ways, it's essential to growth. You realize that when we go through a negative event, we become stronger when we come out the other side, as long as we don't let it overtake us. If we can't go before God in truth, then we are, in, we are not in a right relationship with him. If we can't go before him in truth, I think we should bring every emotion, I think we should bring every fear, every doubt, and every concern to God when we are with him. There's nothing wrong with it. I've always said God's got big shoulders, just unload the truck. Unload the truck on him. He can handle it. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. If you're in a relationship uh, with someone else and, and lack of trust has come into that relationship, it's important. You need to talk that out. It's the same with God. If you're going, I don't know what you're doing. What are you doing? God, what's going on? This is happening and that's happening. I'm being affected this way. What, what are you doing? Talk openly about your doubts. You can be a Christian for 100 years and still doubt God in moments. You can. I really don't like cliche sayings when people in the Christian realm come up and maybe you're going through a sickness or you're going through a struggle or something's happened. Well, you know, God's, God's in control and he's going to take care of it all. So you just chin up, chin up, keep going. That doesn't help. That just irritates me. It's like, there's nothing, sometimes you just need to be there and be silent and be with them beside someone and not say anything. There is a time to mourn. There's all these times. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. Do that. We get awkward because we don't know what to say. We want to make it better. Sometimes don't say anything. Be that example. We need to be able to say to God, I'm doubting you. I'm angry with you. I'm feeling torn apart. You need to help. I think saying it out loud how we feel allows God to respond back in our heart and through others. And sometimes there can be a spiritual peace because we said it. Sometimes it's important to say it. But, but then I'll be seen as unspiritual if I say I'm doubting God right now. Who cares what they think? God knows. God knows. And they should be better than that. They shouldn't be judging you for your doubts. There's a time, and it happens. Today, if you are feeling like you're in a wilderness, take the time to evaluate your spiritual health, your physical health. Seek answers. If you need physical touch from, from whatever, find, find someone, get a doctor. Your mental health, talk to a professional. Mental health is big right now, as it should be, because it hasn't been for long enough. And... If you don't talk to somebody, you just keep it in, that affects your physical health. When your mental health affects your physical health, it affects your spiritual health. It, it's, it's math. One plus one plus one is three. They all impact each other somehow. 
I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to go to uh, communion quickly this morning before we go down. But it's important that you evaluate all those points in your life and don't stop. Don't stop seeking God, seeking answers. I don't know the challenge that you are facing today or that you will face, but I do know it is better not to do it alone. It is better to have people around you and to recognize that God is there in your struggles, in your trials. Reach out to God and reach out to someone you trust and can rely on in the family of God because we need to be there to support each other, to walk each other through things. And if things are going great, that's awesome. But guess what? There will be a time when they don't and you will need others. So keep in mind that. God will make a way and that is a cliche, but he will. We just don't know what it is. And it might not be what you want, but it'll be his way. So take the time. He's going to make it. Let me pray, and then we're going to go to communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there are people that have struggled throughout Scripture to give us the example of what that looks like. And I pray that as we go our way this week, that we will, first of all, recognize it in ourselves, know that you are there, you are, you are along there with us throughout our struggles, through our journey, and also uh, help us to recognize uh, that we need you. We need you more than ever. And bring people around, those that are struggling this morning, those that are, have a difficult time, that they can be lifted up in prayer and that we can be there for them, give emotional and spiritual support. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen.